Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately from Cannes, where new stars of cinema are born in the best films in the world. The films I love, he's he's in it, he's iconic. I love the title of your podcast, it's very charming. <laughs> My favourite, I think, if we're talking Palm Door material, is Lucas Dant's uh, Close, which is only his second film. I've got model and actress Charles B. Dean. I've got director and star Lotvi Natan and Adam Bessa from Harker. And I've got some of the best round-up opinion with my critical guests. It's Qu'est-ce t'as vu du bien, as they say down here, the last of this season. Seen any good films lately? From Cannes. So we're bringing season three of the podcast to a close in the most sunny and stylish of ways with my final show from this year's Cannes, the 75th Cannes 2022. So... Let's get right into some recommendations for you. Obviously, you can't see these movies yet, but they're coming your way throughout the next few months. Don't worry about that. So let's hear about some favourites from my first critics. They're like the Phil Schofield and Holly Willoughby of film festivals. John Bleasdale and Joe Titmarsh. Lovely to see you in Cannes. It was um, a good festival or a so-so festival, the 75th festival? Where does it sit? Uh, it's not the best festival I've been to, but I've seen a couple of really great films that I've loved. Uh, After Sun is my top film, followed very closely by the David Bowie documentary. Tell me about After Sun. That's the hot title that I have been a complete moron and missed. <laughs> After Sun is really a two-hander about a father and daughter uh, on a package trip to Turkey, and it's nostalgic and beautiful and funny and sad. And British. And British. Uh, great, great performances. Brilliant debut. Uh, directorial debut. She also wrote the screenplay, Charlotte Wells, so she's going to be one to look out for in the yeah. future. And it's got uh, that bloke off of normal people in it, Paul Mescal. Is he good? He's great. Is he? Yes, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and and works so naturally and beautifully with the girl whose name I can't remember, um, but she was wonderful. Francesca Corio, I think she's called. And why is it called After Sun? Because they go on holiday. Because they, get... they go on holiday and there's always a beautiful moment every night where they put After Sun on each other's faces. It's just adorable. Oh. I loved all of it. Yeah, you really did. People have loved it. It's been one of the hot titles and, and British. And it played in Critics Week, so it's slightly, slightly hidden yeah, away. Yeah, a sidebar event. But, but it was packed and good word of mouth and I think everyone's going to really want to see it. Yes, and it has been picked up so it will, it will be seen. Uh, John, did you see After Sun as well? Yeah, I loved it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the only thing I'd say is, uh, in, in terms of it, the general, how good the, the festival is generally, it's not like a huge film. It's a very intimate film, and it's a, it's a very sort of focused film. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's okay that it was in a sidebar, but it was, it was top class. Yeah, everyone seems to have gone and sort it out and, and come back, and I think it's been picked up by probably movie. A movie do everything, don't they? I think it occurs on a movie. Yeah, I'm guessing movie, because yeah, yeah. it's just it's normally correct. Now, you mentioned the David Bowie documentary. That's Moon Age Day, Daydream. Daydream. You enjoyed that? I loved it. Uh, 
even if it had been bad, which it absolutely wasn't, you just get to watch David Bowie looking sexy and being funny uh, for two and a half hours. Hold so. on, so it's a documentary of found footage? It's but... all, all footage, yeah, there, there are no kind of talking heads, no interviews, um, other than old interviews with David Bowie himself. And it's composed of them from him, from, from Cracked Actor all the way through to sort of uh, concert footage? And... Uh, yeah, we've got concert footage, backstage footage, um, and some interviews with him. And I think it takes its its uh, lead from the fact that he really considers himself a really multimedia artist, and, and they put all of that into the film. And, best thing of all, no tin machine. <laughs> so they skip that they quite... Skip that one. <laughs> I saw that concert. Which um, one's the one I saw? I don't know why I got unlucky. Yeah, are you a Bowie fan, Joe? I'm a huge Bowie fan. And yeah. did this bring it all back? Why, what it was about him that you love? Well, do, you, do you know what I mean? We've seen so much Bowie stuff since his death, and so yeah. much kind of Bowie Day, Bowie Week, Bowie this. Like, I mean, I was a little bit like, oh, how much Bowie do you need? Do we need some more Bowie? We definitely need more Bowie. And, and this is the film that gives it to you, I think. Um, just because it's all about him and... And like John said, you see all of the media that he used and it was really fascinating and uh, just a real treat to kind of have him back with us. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think you're right, he's a multimedia artist, a performer in, in so many ways. Do we see that on the, on the screen? We we're reminded of that because, you know, I think we can be just think he's a musician in some way. This brings it all. Oh, yeah, they use clips from um, the Nicholas Rogue film and uh, the Tony Scott film, The Hunger. But also they remind us of how... In his stage performances, he was incorporating a lot of Japanese theatre, and he's doing sort of dances with masks. I kind of forgot how what a, what a good dancer he is, and how much he incorporates that into into his act. And obviously, he has his personas: Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Insane, uh, the Thin White Duke, which is a little bit dodgy. And they they definitely soft soap the dodgy bits. There's no sort of his flirtation with the far right, massive drug use, and you know uh, his sexual sexcapades as somewhat sort of. Uh, skated over, but you know, in a in a way, that's fine as well. It's a, is, it a, is it a biopic or it's just a sort of a look at his? Because it sense if you say it goes to Blackstar, does it? It goes in order, is it? No, it sort of mixes it up a lot, and it doesn't occasionally get little bits about his family, a little bit about his brother who had schizophrenia and he was hospitalised, and you have these little moments, but it's really about him, you know, being that star man that we we you know that is is somewhat outside of human understanding I mean if that's not too pretentious a way of putting it but that's that's kind of how it how it goes and I mean it's in the title Moon Age Daydream it's it has a Is that taken from a, a lyric it's a song Moon Age Daydream oh yeah I can do the whole thing it's like he's in the room but it also tells the most brilliant love story between him and Imam and that is just incredible that it's like a legend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I, I, I've always been very happy for both of them yeah. in that in that in that scenario. It wasn't like, oh, you know, when Helen Christensen was with Michael Hutchinson, it was like, well, you know, he got a bit lucky there. Yeah, but with him, I thought <laughs> she that was great, great work. Uh, I was reminded of Iman. Uh, in this festival when I was watching George Miller's film 3,000 Years of Longing because it looked like the Michael Jackson video to remember the time. Oh, yes. And she's yeah, in with that with, Ed, with, with, with Michael Eddie Murphy. Jackson and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And I just thought, why does this film... I thought that film stank to high heaven. Did you, did you see... Oh, well, I didn't see that, no. I really wanted to because I love George Miller. And, and beyond Mad Max, I love Babe... Uh, Pig in the City and I love uh, Lorenzo's Oil and Witches of Eastwick. So, uh, yeah, it's a real... 
bit disappointing to hear. Although we sometimes disagree, so I might I might enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's your What's your little gems? Uh, Joe's mentioned those two, which you, you, you chimed in with her. Well, oh, I definitely yeah, I definitely would uh, hitch my wagon to Joe's horses there. But I also. Um, uh, Triangle of Sadness, I really loved. It's a, a, a heavy-handed satire against the one percenters, but when you're punching people, it's, it makes sense to be heavy-handed, I think. Someone said that it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I was like, yeah, but those fish need really do need shooting. Yeah, and they're slippery sods, and a, a good machine gunning uh, would do the, do the world a world of good, I think. Dynamite. Absolutely, and it's really, it's really, there's a Monty Python-esque grotesquery to the comedy, which I really respond to. I love that exaggeration, and he exaggerates in every sense in terms of the nature of the humour, the boldness, and the length of the scenes. You think the joke is finished, and then he tops it and tops it and tops it, and I'm, I, I'm really all for that. I, I, I loved it. He does do that. I mean, with Force Majeure, it's the, the avalanche coming towards you, coming towards you, coming towards you, and in the, 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 the palm door winning the square, it's that scene at the dinner party, that the, the, the fun where the monkey just keeps keeps on giving, and he does it. He does it here. And I, I, I actually thought it, that there was such a lot of great filmmaking going on in this film. It's probably not as good as the others, but some people said it was better than the square. Oh, I think it was much better than the square. Yeah, I thought the the square was wait for it oblong. <laughs> that was that was prepared. <laughs> been waiting what five years to do that. I was in my review. I'm just quoting my review. Uh, no one else will, so I might as well. Uh, but no, I thought the square it went after the modern art world, and as as deserving as they might be of of ridicule, they're not evil. Uh, whereas the one percenters and the uh, arms dealers and the billionaires of the world kind of are. So try and understand this. I think it's a good shout out for that one as well because it has sort of divided people and I thought, well, I... I think that's the overriding thing of the whole festival, to tell you the truth. I don't think there's a clear winner. Uh, anybody, the, you know, we've had Claire Denis. Uh, we've just watched the Koreda, the Japanese film, which who, who's won the Palme d'Or in the past. And He's not going to win it again for this, is he? No, not at all. This is a really much weaker... I mean, I enjoyed it. He's still a great filmmaker, so he doesn't make bad films. But it's, it's, it's very serious. Serie B, I was going to say. Se, uh, what championship? It's a championship <laughs> version. Of the, of the, yeah, no, so, but I don't think there is a that, unless something comes really late, as in tomorrow, there isn't a sort of an amour or a blue is the warmest colour, some film that just really stands out and everybody nods and says, okay, this is taking I, I, I have felt that the, the Park Chang Wook film, does Decision to Leave? Yes. yes. That's what it's yeah. called, Decision to Leave. For me, it stands out head and shoulders as the best one here. I, d- I don't, I didn't particularly love it. I just thought, that's got something going on for it. And, you know, he, he is a, a top-level filmmaker, having done Old Boy and, and won here. He hasn't won the Palm Door. Feels like... Cool. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I, I really liked the film. I really admired it. But it wasn't as good as A Handmaiden, and it wasn't as good as Old Boy, and it just makes it feel a bit weird that it would win and those other t- films which were in competition at least The Handmaiden was didn't I give you Deepan from Jack Odio mm-hmm. not his best film no no absolutely not because sometimes they like to sort of catch up did you see the Park Chung Wook yes I did and I felt a little bit like you Jason like a, a very good film oh. and uh uh, but I was disappointed in it somehow, and I just couldn't stand all of the mobile phone stuff. It was so convoluted. <laughs> um, it wasn't as if he was like, I'm going to show you how to do mobile phones yes. get on the screen. This is how you do it. But, but be- beautiful to look at, you know, beautifully filmed and great acting. I absolutely love the two leads. 
so. What was it about again? It was, about, it was like a Hitchcockian. It was a noir. It's like a noirish thriller. You know, the poor copper who was totally set up from the beginning in a very classic style. You know, happily married. You know, the great cop. Yes, and the femme fatale arrives. And I do like that sort of stuff when when he gets hold of it and sort of filters classic Hollywood style through yeah. the Korean thing. And I think that might that's, that that seemed interesting. But it did, then it twisted. It just kept going. Yeah, I, and I, I totally went with it. Um, I, I did talk to a few people who, as it often happens in festivals, uh, take five minutes to have a little nap in the film, and this film was unforgiving. If you did that, you'd forget it. You'd lost it completely, because there would have been a double cross or a triple cross while you had your eyes closed, so no, no. Um, what about Elvis from Baz Luhrmann? Big, big event here. Uh, I saw that this morning. I think you, you, you've seen it as well. Slightly mixed reviews for it but I think you, you, you quite enjoy shaking your hips to that I, I loved it I really did I mean I, d- I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything like that but I for what it does it's exactly what you'd expect from Baz Luhrmann it's noisy it's, it's glitzy it's full of bling it's full of sequins and stardust and kinetic energy and all that stuff and it really fits with the material especially the Vegas years but even the 50s all those shiny cars and everything just absolutely gorgeous and the music was really well done and the sort of hip hop elements that he uses actually didn't clang as loudly as they sometimes do Gatsby they they clang exactly Gatsby the the material just didn't fit the style because it fitted having DiCaprio play Gatsby but it didn't fit F. Scott Fitzgerald at all the only criticism I would have is I don't think the Tom Parker uh, the Colonel character played by Tom Hanks is um, interesting enough a perspective I, was, I found we spent a bit too much time with him and I didn't think he was an interestingly complicated character he's just, he's just a, a fraud and people knew that at the time even though you know it was revealed later how much of a fraud he was spoilers um, he even at the time nobody there were lots of distrust you know I couldn't I thought that was what the film was going to be about this Tom Parker thing and it, it, it wasn't quite about that it's called Elvis not not I, I didn't I quite know what it was going to be what it was about in the end yeah, I um, I was a bit disappointed. Uh, I felt a bit like John. There was a lot to, to love about mm. it. I thought the lead, whose name I can't remember, he was Austin, somebody or other. He yeah. he looked amazing. He really looked he like Elvis. Good. He moved like Elvis. And uh, as John mentioned uh, before to me, you know, lots and lots of uh, action in the kind of groin area for us. Lots of close-ups and. You, if you, you were really a, a girl in the fifties, and there are a lot of them in there, and it's all it's all about like he was such a strange character. You talk about Bowie being an alien. That was that was sort of what Elvis was supposed to be, and they'd never seen anything like it. Would you oh, have screamed? Yeah, are you kidding? I was screaming, you were screaming in, in, the, in the screen room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, interesting. It was it's certainly a big event here, um, and Baz Luhrmann always is. He's such a showman, and I felt there was a lot a lot in there that. He's very bad, you know, the carnival and the sort of the mm. big wheel and the, the circus uh, aspect of it. Uh, I think maybe he, he get, was pulled a Ford and lost. I don't know. I think it'll do well, Elvis, really. I think people will go and oh, see it. I think, I think it'll be a hit. I mean, this is one of the strange sort of uh, double faces of this festival is we have had these enormous films like Top Gun Maverick with flyovers. Mm. Adiritura, uh, you know, going going over during the red carpet with Tom Cruise, and then we had Elvis with you know Manaskin and huge celebrity guests there, and so there has been these, these big films and this big buzz, but they're also films that a lot of people have already seen or are really right already in cinemas. 
and they don't that's not really what festivals about it's not about uh, you know a press junket for the films that are out this week it, it should be much more like what's going on this year and in that respect I feel like the competition and a lot of this a lot of the selections haven't really sort of I've got, I've got a feeling Venice will have a lot a, a lot stronger programmers do you think that the the last couple of years the pandemic the fact that people have seen things on links and the, 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 perhaps the business of watching them and has changed a bit well I mean I'm never in London there were sort of preview screenings I've never seen so many uh, before that, that, that people have got a bit loose about I know people were watching things on links in their in their on their laptops if they miss some screenings that's, that that's the first festival I feel there's been changed that way um, well, no, because I do think we've had two two years of, of very strange festivals, and indeed, you know, Berlin Alley was entirely digital uh, or hybrid versions, and yet links are coming thick and thick and fast for people in the industry and people in the press. Um, but I do think uh, the festivals, especially Cannes, need to maybe sit down and have a think about the experience of what going to a festival is like. And, and how they can change it and make it a little bit more comfortable for the people here and a bit more exciting as well. Mm. Bit more, I, I get excited coming to Cannes, I get excited by cinema, but you're right, Venice, which is your hometown, Joe, yes. that always has like sort of the Oscar contenders will be unveiling there. You can't, you know, there's a days of Venice where you suddenly see like three films in a row that will be sort of in the best picture category. Yeah, uh, but it has... It's a bit like a village fake compared to, to Cannes. It is for you, because you live there. <laughs> no, but I think it is for most of us that work in, uh, uh, that follow festivals, that um, here it's really business, and you feel that pressure, even if you're not a part of yeah. it. And Venice just feels so laid back compared to, to Cannes. It's true, and having delved into the business side of it this year, I can tell you, it's a bit of a bear yes, here. Yes, you know more about that than yeah, we do, Jason. Venice is far more relaxed than I am. Looking forward to it already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, guys, brilliant to have you. Oh, John, have you got a little... A little gem that you've gone and, and found. Oh yeah, like I have actually. Pig. Yeah, yeah. My my truffling. Uh, it was actually the same day that I saw um, After Sun. I went down to the uh, theatre, Quasette, uh, and I saw this wonderful Canadian film called Falcon Lake. And if I tell you the synopsis, you will say, I've seen that film a million times, I've got no reason to see it. You know, it was the summer in which 14-year-old uh, Luca fell in love with 16-year-old Chloe. Oh, I love those films, though. They're my favourite. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but the summer would end, it like, would change their... The exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a world <laughs> where... Um, uh, and, but it, it's surprising. It surprises you all the way through. The performances are wonderful. It looks great. It sounds fantastic. Has a lovely soundtrack. Is it in, in, in Canadian English or it's in French? Uh, no, well, actually, because the boy is uh, uh, coming from Paris, so his family is French. The, the friends are Quebecois, and there are some Canadian American boys around the corner as well. So there's a bit of a, a melange of, link, of languages. But it's just so well done, and it is a uh, it is a debut, so it's in the running for the Camera d'Or. So that, I like yeah. the sound of that. You've yeah. sold that to me. Well, probably movie have beaten me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Titmarsh, John Beesdale, brilliant to have you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. John and Joe are great mates of each other and of mine, and you can hear them chiming in together there really well with great choices. Uh, do check out John Beesdale's own podcast. It's called Writers on Film, and it interviews writers and journalists who've written books on films and filmmakers. Obsessives all. John's writing one on Terence Malick right now, you know. <laughs> 
And you heard John Bleasdale recommend Triangle of Sadness in his review roundup. That's the new one from Sweden's Ruben Ostlund, Palm Door winner with The Square. And the film was a big centrepiece of this festival. It's about a male model, played by Harris Dickinson, and his more successful model influencer girlfriend, played by Charles B. Dean, who travel on a luxury yacht which runs into a storm and then the survivors are shipwrecked. It's a satire, a comedy of cringe and about moral dilemmas, and the breakout star of it is actress Charles B. Dean, more famous as a model throughout her career. I started modelling at the age of, like, I want to say, like, literally five or six in Cape Town, and then I started travelling at the age of 13. So I started out first doing, like, drama school, and then I would do, like, acting at school, or not acting, like, theatre at school, and then I did, like, TV commercials, and then at one point I got a, a contract to go to Tokyo, and it was just a, a large amount of money for someone in a third world country. And, and they were kind of like, would you like to go for a month, two months, and you could come back and buy a house? Because that's the, the currency exchange. And my parents were like, bad idea, you're way too young. And I pleaded. And I got my way. But yeah. How old were you? 13. 13. Mm. Are you still doing that? You know what, it's modeling, but it's different. It's more, I would say, like advertising more for certain brands. It's, it's done in the sense of being an actor instead of being a model. And there's a big difference between that. You know, as a model, you're a mannequin. You're essentially a hanger. You don't get a say on like what you wear, how you get perceived, if you like your lip color, if you like what you're wearing. And then as an actor, you have a say. People actually want to hear what your what your opinion is, which is bizarre. And I'm I'm actually learning to find my my own voice within that. Were you allowed to get your opinion across working with Ruben Ostlund? I mean, there's definitely a hierarchy. Ruben is the captain, and you want it to be that way because you pick to be on his film if you're lucky enough to pick or get chosen, rather. You want him to lead it because you trust what he does, right? And he's got such a clear voice. But that being said, he's never afraid of any ideas. In fact, he's open to them. I mean, you do so many takes, and he's like, oh, if you have an idea, let's, let's try it out. And every day we would have a little process of like improv before filming the next day. We'd be like, this is what we're filming. Let's play with it. What ideas come up? Let's see if it's actually going to be totally different mm-hmm. to what the, what the script says. Give us an example of a scene where that sort of happened and you managed to get something of you and your... your where, where we change? I'm trying to think of what exactly. I think there were a couple times where Harry and I would both be like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't behave that way. And then we would do it the other way, and it would maybe not be as interesting. And then Ruben would essentially be like, but if the situation were for these reasons, how would you respond then? And then I'd have to think, and I'd be like, okay, you know, if I think of Yaya having to travel at the age of 13, she's been working her whole life, she doesn't, she didn't finish school, so she doesn't have an education, now she's working, now she's close to 25 or whatever, and her career is going to end soon, she sends money back home to her family in South Africa or in Russia or wherever else, and then it's, what is next for her? She can't work, she doesn't have an education, she wants to have a family, and she needs to be with someone that is essentially going to take care of her and her future it's not so much about the money as more as about what's next for her what's how she gonna survive and that's what's playing in your your head as an actress 100 percent. you have to you've got to love who you're playing and you've got to understand where they're coming from you know and it's it's all the truth that's what happened to me it's what happened to most it's what happens to most models yeah have you seen ruben's previous films uh when you were introduced to this project so growing up in South Africa, as much as I wanted to be an actor, I didn't necessarily have an industry of like people that, or like a family of people that watched film. You actually, at 7 o'clock at night, the TV goes off unless you have 
extra money to pay for the movie slots which come on after. So ours would go off at 7pm and I never really got to watch film. But I always wanted to do acting. And then when I was lucky enough to go to America, I kept saying to people, I want to be an actor, I want to be an actor. And the agents and, and teams would be like, well, what kind of films do you like? And I remember being like, I don't, I don't know, but how would I know if I didn't grow up with it? I just know this is what I want to do. Now I know why I wanted to do it, but at the time I didn't. And then I really got into like watching films. And one of the first films that I watched was Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, with Guillermo del Toro and I'm really like wow this is crazy this is exciting this is everything and more and then I watched the square cup obviously later on and the Angelica in New York and I remember being like angry I, I felt angry that I'd been missing out on on films like this I didn't know that they, people made films like that you know and I remember just being like excited and just like how do I become a part of that? Like, and then I just went crazy and watching absolutely everything. And when I was lucky enough to get the, the call, well, just an email being like, oh, you know, Ruben Oshland would like you know, to see you improv this little scene. And we'd be like, sure, whatever. There's no way he's going to watch my film. I'm never going to register. But this is cool. I'm auditioning for a Ruben Oshland film. And then when I actually got the call, like, I'd like to Zoom with you, I was like, sorry, what? Now it's real and now I'm going to fuck it up. But, you know, you do, because then all of a sudden it's, it's a real thing. But Ruben has this innate way of making everyone feel so comfortable, so calm. It's opulent. I'm being treated like a star, and it is obscure. And I keep saying to my agents, how do I say thank you? Because I'm so appreciative, but I don't know what the right etiquette is to, to show how thankful I am. But I don't want to go back to reality. This is marvelous. Who wouldn't want to be treated like this? Sorry if that's bad, but... How lucky, you know, and I don't know how long it's going to last, so I'm taking up, you know, I'm, I'm just relishing in all of it, to be honest. Did you put people right on how it works in the fashion industry and what that's really like? He had a really good inside perspective already. And honestly, watching the film at the end, after, I mean, we discussed every little thing and he'd, he'd ask me so many questions, always asking me questions. Ah, but what about this? And Does this happen? Does this really happen? And he was often like shocked by what I would tell him. Because it's one thing being a photographer like his wife and it's another thing being a model. You, you see a lot more. And in my opinion, the film is very true to that. When I watched the, the, the opening scene with the male models, I was just like, <laughs> I was done. I thought it was hilarious. You know, I know some really, really big, big male models. And one of the things that they would do is they would buy like big bottles of champagne. And we're talking about guys that had no money in their wallets. They would spend their last cents on like even going into debt to buy something super fancy. And they'd go up to the casting directors and give it to them so that they would book them for their shows. And it sometimes works. So one guy became the face of a very, very big brand in behaving this way. So, yeah. The the the, the 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 start when they do the, the serious and Ruben Ruben knew this psychologically about the, the smiling is for a cheaper yeah. price than the serious the Balenciaga H and M Balenciaga is that true? We don't call it like Balenciaga and H and M we'd call it commercial editorial. So commercial is more for your everyday inclusive brands that are more approachable that everybody can wear on a day to day basis that's welcoming and warm. Your top models generally won't do those things because it cheapens their brand and then the more high-end things will be your more exclusive brands and those tend to be more cool when you do editorials which are for magazines they tend to be more cool and those aren't as smiley and approachable you're you're selling a, a dream and you're selling a, a world that you wish to be a part of so it's two different different things
How do you see things going for you from here, Shelby? Definitely keep acting. I mean, like I said, I started out acting. I was doing drama and theatre and all of that. And I didn't really have an opportunity to go to America without doing modelling. Because with modelling, you get a a visa from your agency. And to do that for acting, it's it's impossible. Especially when you have a, a green... We call it the Green Mamba, which is a South African passport. So now that I'm actually in America and I have an American passport now I can do acting which was not the case even when doing this film I had a really really hard time with just having a green card but the dream is to continue acting and, and to keep working with people like like Ruben that's my dream I'd like to be like Tilda and, and be able to work with directors before they become huge and be able to read a script and be like I can see the potential that's who I want to work with the Tilda you've spoken to Tilda about this no I just I just know her, her film choices and I always think that she's kind of she sees things before it happens I think she's just a genius and you can see Charby Dean and me doing our best Balenciaga H&M faces on my Instagram and watch out for her in Triangle of Sadness with its bravura scenes, the centrepiece scenes that will be among the most talked about for months to come. Time for some more recommendations now with my next critical guest, the intrepid, ubiquitous, tireless BBC Film Festival reporter, Emma Jones. My favourite, I think, if we're talking Palm Door material, is Lucas Dant's uh, Close, which is only his second film. So if you think of Xavier Dolan as a bit of a wonder kid, mm. well, this is another wonder kid, really. Yeah. He's so he did he's, Girl. He, he did Girl. He won the camera door for Girl. And now he's back and got straight into competition with his second film. And now we understand why, having seen it, really. Well, I'm, I'm off to see that next, but you've had an early screening. And it's just... Yeah, an earlier, an earlier press screening. And uh, it's just beautiful. Hey, it's also only about 90 minutes long, which is, you know, which, which, is, which is amazing. It, it's really beautiful. It tells the story of two, two boys on the cusp of being teenagers, really, who are amazing friends. They're just like brothers. They're really, really close, mm-hmm. as, as the title suggests. And something happens, and one of them pulls back. And it's just... Um, it begins, it's so beautiful, it's shot through with golden light at the, at the start. It's, you know, I think it's Lucas's way of sort of recalling childhood. Then it becomes, the, the colours in itself, it's like a painting almost. Mm. It becomes much darker, much greyer as, as the film progresses. And amazing performances um, by the young leads. And I think, you well, know... Well, he's obviously got a gift for that because the, the performance in Girl by he the young has. dancer was amazing I, th- I think he's he's just got the whole deal really he's a very very gifted storyteller yeah. his eye for for framing is incredible and I, th- I think he's barely 30 he's as well he's really young and he's got great energy I interviewed him when he was at the LFF oh, once he's and so nice. he was charming and yeah. his English was perfect he yeah, was really he's, cool he's a lovely guy um, from, I, I interviewed him for Girl and I seen him at the Women in Motion red carpet uh, earlier this week He's, he's just fantastic, a really big talent. And even if he doesn't get the palm, I think he will. he's obviously in the running for a prize. That film will get, will get wow, a prize. Nice surprise as well. I, well, I, I think you're right. we've, we've got nearly to the end of the competition. There hasn't been one that's kind of knocked anyone's socks off yet. Would you say that about the competition? Probably, yes, though I haven't seen all the competition films for disclosure. In fact, I, I preferred some of the films in uncertain regard. Yeah. For example, I couldn't understand why Mary Kreutzer's Corsage wasn't in the main competition. With um, Vicky Creeps. Yeah, Vicky, Vicky Creeps, and she's, um, she's playing Empress Sissy of Austria, Elizabeth of Austria, who's a contemporary of Queen Victoria's. Um, and it, that's, that's an incredible film. I cannot understand why that didn't end up in competition. But anyway, I guess Uncertain Regard needs some really, really great 
mm. movies as well. So I think Decision to Leave um, by Park Chan-wook is probably the nearest to everybody having their socks knocked off. Yes, I agree. But, but I think it was quite hesitant. It was almost like, well, this is probably the best we've seen so far, but do we really think maybe the same way that we think of it as Old Boy or you know any of any of his other work? Um, yeah, the, the last 20 minutes of the film, people listening, is incredible. You know, it's the last 20 minutes of the film mm. that make it for me. Oh, that I prefer is the first, like, I prefer oh, really? the first 90. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, anyway, I love it. This reminds me of the piano. It's that soaring emotion, yeah. the, the soaring, sweeping views exactly. of the sea, that, right. that kind of You're thing. Right. I, so, was, I, know, I, I yeah. thought it was, I thought it was yeah. by a country bar the best sort of thing that I'd seen. Uh, another one. And Broker, um, I really enjoyed it. That, of course, Corey Ada's movie, and he is also a Palm d'Or winner for... Uh, shoplifter um, I, I really really like that um, it's sort of in his wheelhouse I mean, although it's in Korean most yeah. of his was Japanese of course apart from the one that was at Venice which was French uh, very much family oriented yeah, he he you families, know fa- families he, are he odd families are yeah. found in, in various places yeah like I, f- I found it quite mainstream, actually. Mm. Um, I think it was more of a crowd-pleasing movie, um, you know, quite, quite mainstream. I wouldn't be surprised if that got prizes. It's got that sort of, sort of almost Dickensian melodrama because we're dealing with sort of child... Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, child sorry, yeah, sorry, everybody. It's about child trafficking and it's about a baby box in Busan where people can drop off their unwanted babies, but Amazing. there's a, a trafficking ring around it as well. But it, it remains a very heartwarming mm-hmm. tale and I suppose you could argue that he's not really, really dealing with... Um, this issue, which is which is clearly an issue that you know probably the world over, um, but instead it's a very sympathetic portrait of the baby traffickers, <laughs> you know, and people who are willing to sell their babies. So, all right, so but, but that's fine. But I still I really really like the film. I do I do really really like. The I film. like Corriada a yeah. lot. He's one of my favourite filmmakers. So who who have you give us some some not gossip but like uh, interviews? You, you you interview so many people on a, on a can. It comes a blur. As do you? Yes. And we, it all becomes a blur, doesn't it? Um, I really enjoyed my interview with um, Pier Francesco Favini oh, for, uh, for Nostalgia. Film. He's here with an Italian film, Nostalgia, which I think is in competition, it isn't is in it? Competition. Yes, I, I've lost the plot by now. Um, but he was wonderful and um, we had a really I think that might be my favourite interview actually he's a very we, charming man I oh, can he, understand you he's a like very him. beautiful charming intelligent man yes <laughs> and uh, enjoyed talking to him about Naples because the film is all about somebody going back to Naples after more than 40 years um, and you know of course Sorrentino captured Naples beautifully yeah. last year in Hand of God they're quite different very portraits. different movies but um, it almost felt like a travel chat really to be <laughs> honest with you you know and I think I don't know if you've been watching Stanley Tucci um, you know Italian journeys on on TV. I think I think we ended up talking you about think that. Favino should that get his own lovely. show. Um, yeah, why not? Why Favino's not send him round? Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd be his camera person. Uh, indeed, yes, um, yes, indeed. Um, what else did I enjoy? Um, speaking to David Cronenberg was amazing. Had some time with him. Really, really lucky. Uh, Strange film, that one. What are these David Cronenberg films? Pretty strange, yes. Uh, I was lucky enough to speak to all the cast. I'm really impressed with Kristen Stewart, actually. Um, she is such an intelligent young mm-hmm. woman. Um, really enjoyed speaking to her. She she probably got it more than the rest of us. I think she might have even got it more than David Cronenberg what, did. The film, what the yeah, film yeah, was. she really understood it and was able to say. Oh, what is it about? Know? I couldn't bloody work it out. <laughs> I don't know, I can't remember. <laughs> so many of the films, I'm like, not so sure many. what they're about, to be honest. But Dave, film, I didn't know what that was about. Oh, I haven't seen that one. But David Cronenberg's was, was lovely, and 
um, in the sense that he was lovely and his press conference was great as well. Um, I haven't seen the Elvis film uh, or the Elvis press conference. I think they were great. Mm-hmm. I think we've had He's some... He's old Baz Luhrmann, if you can. You know, it's, it's amazing. But, but I think we miss David Cronenberg when he's not around at Cannes, not because of the body shock horror, which, of course, we had his descendant last year with Titan winning the Palme d'Or, but I think we miss Cronenberg when he's not here because he's such an intelligent, funny man and it's and self-deprecating as well, and it's, it's really just good to have um, though, that kind of time with those kind of directors who really... Even though I'm sure they do take their work seriously, they don't take themselves that seriously. You so know? what can we expect from the, the Talking Movies Part 2, the second edition? Well, from thank you for asking. Um, I think that we can, oh, we can expect a South Korean film special, which, of course, uh, incorporates uh, Hunt being uh, being premiered by the, the Star of Squid Games. Of course, we've had a real lot of Korean films the cori- and Broker. He's in the Coriader. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and... Um, it is Coriada's film was also filmed in South Korea. Yeah, Busan, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've got my David Cronenberg interview, of course. Brilliant. And my colleague has also been looking at the Ukrainian films here at the festival and those stories, and also Tchaikovsky's wife, of course. Um, so he's he's been looking at, at those aspects. A good can, Emma, from your point of view. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes, de- definitely. Um, do you know what? I think I preferred last year's can. I was so happy with Titan winning. All the fil- I thought all the films were yeah. brilliant last year. I mean, they were yeah. all really good. I think much yes. better than this year. I know, and, and I, I, there were so many films I came out, including Jacques Audiard, which, which just wasn't even his best, going, mm. oh, I'm so, so honoured to have seen that. Maybe it's because we were really starved of cinema at so. that point, that, and yeah. we were just so happy to be back. Um, so I, th- I think it's been brilliant just seeing Cannes back to normal, you know, the crowds, the parties, the dinners, you know, the films, no, um, you know, masks on a voluntary basis. It, it's been really, really wonderful seeing that. I don't know it's been the best year for cinema, even though it's the 75th anniversary, and so they've clearly pulled out all the stops. We're getting in the big-name directors for the competition. Oh, pass from the Red yeah. Arrows for Tom Cruise. Oh, oh, by the way, I am also on Talking Movies. I think we're coming to part three now, looking at um, the Uncertain Regard competition as far as female directors are concerned because there were some really good films in there, including War Pony. Um, I don't know if you saw Elvis's that. Elvis' granddaughter. Yeah, um, Riley. Riley, Riley I, I yeah. did see it. Everyone said that was great. Really, really good. Um, and Rodeo by Lola Quiveron, which I think is in competition for the um, camera door. door. Yeah. So we've, got, we've gone for those films rather than going for the films in competition. You know, I think um, smart choice, because you know, yeah. that's, that's where the female filmmakers are of the future. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been really heartening, though, of course, there were plenty of headlines, deservedly so, about why start off with three and then you kind of push it up to five. Oh, can I just mention one more film that I do really like? Yeah, I wonder if you really like Eight Mountains. It's not a little gem. It's about two and a three quarters hours long. Um, but did you enjoy Eight Mountains? Did I, would, you see I miss it? Eight Mountains. It's annoying because it's set in the place where I've been skiing. And I thought, I thought, why? But I didn't see that. I didn't know it was set in the Aosta Valley. I do hope it gets some kind mm. of acknowledgement because everybody I know has really liked it. Yeah, I, I heard like a bit meh and I didn't catch up and then people went, oh, but you'd really like that one. Too. Yeah. It's kind of contemplative and beautiful and European. Yes, absolutely. And it's about, again, wow, an, an intense friendship between two young men mm-hmm. um, who grow up. It's based on a book. Um, they're, no, they're not lovers, 
Um, I think if you watch it, you might spend most of the movie going, shouldn't, shouldn't they be? Really? If they're such soulmates? I don't know. Um, but re- really great performances, beautiful vistas. Um, friendly with some of my movie. male mates without I being lovers with them. I absolutely agree with that. But uh, it's just if you, if you watch the movie, it might be quite said, ambiguous. They do a lot you of camping under the stars. You know, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Does it look amazing? I mean, it's just the, 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 the mountains look amazing, apparently. It, they are amazing. I'll tell you, uh, which is an amazing film in terms of its cinematography, is Godland in Uncertain Regard. That's an Icelandic movie. Um, and truly, Iceland looks Tolkien-esque um, under, under that lens. Um, you know, it, lo- it looks like fairyland almost. Mm-hmm. The, the green dells and, you know, the, the, the ice and fire of the volcanoes. It looks absolutely magical. But yeah, eight, eight mountains and that kind of, it's almost Heidi-esque in terms mm-hmm. of its alpine vistas and wholesomeness. You know, when you're looking, you think, oh, why, why do I live in London? Why, why don't I just <laughs> get smooth. some fresh air in the Alps? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been it's been good. But that's what cinema can do: make you travel without a passport. And for, for two and a half hours, you were in those Alps. Absolutely. Well, that was the great thing during COVID, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Looking you. Forward to those talking movies and glad to have been a part of a reciprocated arrangement. Pleasure. Absolutely. See you again very soon. Emma's always worth listening to, and you can find her on BBC World's Talking Movies with Tom Brook and me. Now you know I like to bring you the newest voices in film on these shows because Cannes is as much about discovery as it is the big stars. In fact, it's about both those things and how they coexist together. We've had that Juliette Binoche on the show and still my favourite film of the festival, if I'm honest, is Mia Hansen Love's One Fine Morning with the brilliant Lea Seydoux performance. That was on the show last week. Catch up with that if you missed it. Uh, Mia's already won the Europa Cinemas label prize for best European film uh, in director's fortnight. So, you know, I pick the winners and bring them to you. And up for this year's Camera d'Or for best first film is Harker by Lotfi Natan. It's a film about an illegal gasoline seller on the streets of Tunis. And it's the way society can shut out a young man and kill all his hopes until tragedy ensues. The lead role is magnetically played by a young actor called Adam Bessa. I think he's a real star in the making. So I went to meet him and his director to find out more about her. I love the title of your podcast. It's very charming. <laughs> Tell me who you are and what your film is here and what you're doing here. Uh, I'm Lotfi Nathan, director of Harka. Uh, and we're here for our world premiere. How did it go? It was very, it was very in- intense for us and powerful for us to, to show it that way and, and finally share it with an audience in such a big way. It was very exciting. Yeah, and here's your star, Adam. Adam, come introduce yourself, a, a breakout star of Cannes in 2020. Oh, hello, nice to meet you guys. My name is Adam Bessa and I'm playing Harka, Lutfi Nathan film, yeah. Tell me about Harka. He's a, he's a difficult character to, you know, to, we, we kind of love him, but we also think, man, calm down a bit. Yeah, right. Exactly, yeah. He's, he's complex. That's what we love, right? That's what, I mean, the, the, the important thing is not to like or not dislike, it's to remember. I hope I'll remember him, you know? I remember your face, I remember his actions. How do you get in the, the headspace of a guy like him I mean I'm not saying that you know you have the family problems what, is it in the script did, did it help on the locations how did you, how did you inf- all of it inform you everything you said you know you're actually very good at what, your questions <laughs> I've been doing this a long time man. yeah right yeah actually very good yeah. yeah exactly what you said you know the script uh, the location uh, working with Lutfi you know you know any people like him yeah 
that that story comes from experience not a, not personal but you know for, for certain elements for sure you know such as such as um, in terms of feeling uh, the frustration I guess frustration I saw uh, uh, powerlessness you know you can you can portray it a certain way that is maybe caricatural but when you lived it and you saw people like that you see the subtleties of it you know and it expressed in certain forms I think the trick in this one is is to express feelings that people can understand but with subtleties you know with 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 precision you know it's to be precise you know because anger frustrations are huge mountains of emotion like big volcanoes you know and it always can become something very you know demonstrative you know but in real life in certain moments you know it becomes very very precise you, you mentioned volcanoes is quite an explosive performance quite an explosive movie there's moments when you think I mean you know how's he going to build it how's he going to you know has he got further to go he's such a sort of volatile character and yeah to your credit you know it, there's always another step to go well done on building that performance how did you keep a lid on it obviously he edited it well as well so he, he was my metronome you know he was my he was my my guide you know I had like you know trust in him you know I was just like bring the fuel he would burn it you know I would just bring the material and he would you know work with it you know a volcano is something that is always on action. You know, you never know when, and that was the the, the great thing to try to achieve. You know, when is it gonna blow up to my face? But still, I can feel the earth shaking, and I can feel everything. You know, and sometimes there are moments of calm, but then it go back again. And you know, thanks to him, the edit team, you know, everybody that worked on it, and you know, I could, and and yeah, that was really the challenge to to try to, you know, to find the the, the right rhythm and. Um, together we, we found how did you find uh, Adam Adam uh, was discovered by uh, our lead producer Julie Vies. Uh she was she someone sent uh, his stuff uh, I think for something else she was working on and uh, we were searching high and low mm-hmm. at that time and was I was uh, we were trying to audition a lot of actors but that that wasn't panning out and um, also doing street casting, you know, but Adam just had a, this amazing quality right from the beginning and his audition uh, was great, his audition tape, because it was so uh, low-key and there was this res- the decision to have restraint, I think is really... Uh, that I, I knew at that point from the other examples I'd seen that that was actually a, a decision, you know, to not do too much. Yeah. Congratulations! Well, on, thank on you for having us. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, cool. have you managed to see any good films while you're here? I saw oh. Top Gun. Yeah. And also uh, uh, Armageddon Time. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Very, very lovely film. Yeah. Top Gun? No, uh, no. I, I saw only Armageddon oh, Time. Yeah, yeah, it was a very lovely film. Yeah. I liked Interesting. It. I liked it in many, much. many aspects. Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was slightly, happily surprised. I didn't know it was going to be. Well, that's what's cool about Cannes, you know, because you, you, like, we can go from a very intense and, you know, gut film to something very pleasant, and after a premiere, actually, now I look back to it, it was actually the perfect movie to watch, because it, it's so, so gentle, so warm, so, you know, so cuddly, that I, I felt actually comfortable in the cinema, and watching that was just like a voyage, you know? You've got to love Cannes, you see your film, you see Armageddon Time, and you see Top Gun. Top Gun. <laughs> All in one place. Like Top Gun? I thought it was a blast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, 
couldn't get two more different films and they're all together in Cannes yeah, so yeah. well done for right. all being for right. you and Tom Cruise sharing a sharing a space that's kind oh, of yeah. nice right <laughs> hey great to meet you great to meet you thanks for your time Adam, thank you thank you there you go, some new stars for you. That's Cannes 2022. I mean, it's not all of it by any means. Myself, I saw a whole new side to things when I was pitching my producer projects around town. And it can be a bear pit if you're not prepared and strong and committed to your material. I popped the words into the right ears, I think. And more meetings back home will follow. And I had some highs and lows in doing it. Some yeses and nos and some maybes. And some come back when you've got a script and a director attached. And then we'll talk. And I got some fantastic advice and guidance from friends and from what I find is a very collegiate bunch of uh, people, the film producers. And this cam was really about me telling people and you about my transitioning into a producer. Nothing, nothing more, too more dramatic. Uh, and um, I met some big players and some people in the same boat as me. All of it serving the films we're seeing on the screens. All of it buzzing around Cannes. The excitement of making movies more infectious than any pesky virus has been. Was that a theme of the movies? The, uh, the old corona, the old pandemic? I think we want to get rid of it, don't we? We don't want to talk about it at all. But there was definitely something residual in the films we saw that were probably made under pandemic conditions, many of them. And there was definitely something alienating in the theme, something about identity, people seeking connection to belong, to fit in with others. It was in Claire Denis' Stars at Noon. It was in the Italian film Nostalgia. In Leonor Sarai's very tender mother and son, in Harker, which we talked about, in Corriada's Broker, in the Dardenne's so-so film, Tori and Lakita. It was even with the little donkey in the extraordinary Jersey Skolomowski film, E.O. And it was certainly in the heartbreaking story of intense child friendship, Close. All of these have characters feeling isolated and unloved and seeking to connect. So that might be them, but it's also been us these last couple of years, hasn't it? So that's my theme, my story. I can. What will win? My tips are Close by Lucas Dant, Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook, The Actress, star from, from Petit Frere or Mother and Son, uh, Ruben Osland, I saw him hanging around uh, having dinner late last night in an Italian restaurant, so he's still here, so I'm thinking director. But it's all very much in the air this year, and up to the jury, isn't it? Thanks for joining me this season on Seen Any Good Films Lately. Thanks to all my guests throughout the season, from the new voices such as Charlby Dean here and the huge stars such as Juliette Binoche and Kanjur and Numi Rapace or Paolo Sorrentino or award winners of the season such as Questlove and Ariana DeBose. All of it's been put together by the excellent Kate Dawkins, so we thank her very much. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you. Thanks for listening. Let's go out, as we always do, with a tune. This one's a bit of a blast from the past. I really enjoyed hearing it. It features memorably in competition film Mother and Son, or Un Petit Frère, by Leonor Sarai, and she plays it almost in entirety, one of the kids dancing to it in a nightclub. Uh, it's about a family from Côte d'Ivoire trying to make it in Paris throughout the 80s and 90s and 2000s, uh, directed by Leonor Sarai. And when I first saw it, I thought, no, I don't know about this one, but it's really lived with me, it's really stuck with me. Great performances, great music by the director, but chosen by the director Leonor Sarai, this 90s hip-hop gem. I hadn't heard it for ages. It's Underwater Love by Smoke City. We'll go out with that. Au revoir.